I'm Nikki Kristoff, and welcome to Teched Up. Today, I'm talking to Tracy Chow, who's building an app that helps users, also known as people, combat online trolls. She and I taped this episode before Twitter blocked free access for developers to their API. Since that change, Twitter has been wonky at best. And our lord and savior, Elon Musk, has been running the company like a toddler having a tantrum. That means Block Party and many other third-party apps have a harder time building on the platform, but they aren't out of the fight yet. As a human on the interwebs myself, this topic feels really personal, and I'm rooting for Tracy and the work she and her team are doing. Today's guest is Tracy Chow. She's calling in remotely, and we are going to be talking about an app that she's building to help deal with trolls on the internet. Tracy, welcome to Tech Dub. Thanks so much for having me. So I want to talk through kind of three parts in this conversation. One, your professional background, which is really, really interesting. It's technical. You're an engineer. Your parents were engineers. You have a master's in AI. And then as part of that, your work in tech. And then I want to talk about Block Party, which is the company you founded and the solutions you're trying to create for those of us on social media, which I think maybe you have a little more positive attitude about social media than I do. I give it an F minus, total hellscape. And then, (laughs) I mean, facts. And then finally, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast work in tech or are tech adjacent. And you have some specific asks to make your company kind of like get to the next level and really embed the product into social media in a way that that is useful to users and solves a problem many of us have, which is dealing with trolls. Tell me a little bit about your background and your journey through Silicon Valley. I had a very charmed Silicon Valley upbringing. My parents were both software engineers. I grew up in the Valley. My high school invested in the seed round of Snap, which is a very funny little trivia detail. Unbelievable. (laughs) Yes. And I studied electrical engineering, computer science at Stanford during school. I had internships at Google and Facebook, just like straight into the Valley. When I graduated, I went to work in the startup scene. So I was at Quora as employee number five. I joined Pinterest when it was about 10 people. Yeah. When I first started working, I was the only female engineer on my team. I was the only one for a little while. I would go visit friends at other startups and other tech companies and I'd always be paying attention to how many other women that were on their engineering teams and what kind of diversity they had in general. And so I was always tracking this in the back of my mind, like which teams look more diverse, and which ones are, are really struggling. And so I was mentally noting these numbers, but also realizing that nobody was officially tracking any of them. And it was actually listening to Sheryl Sandberg, who was at that time at Facebook, talking about how the numbers were dropping precipitously, that I had this realization we actually didn't have any numbers. And despite being in the tech industry, which is extremely data-driven, and as an engineer, I've been forced to do A-B testing on everything. Everything has to be justified by the metrics. And so I wrote this Medium post called Where Are the Numbers? Not expecting that anything would actually happen, but did start to see more interest from the community and doing something about it. So startups started publishing some of their numbers. And then Google it was the, the first of the big companies to take up this mantle. So very grateful to Google for being that first mover and basically pulling the rest of the industry along. Now that the whole industry has basically put out its numbers, we can see that it's not an issue with one specific company, which I think was some of the fear originally as well, that if one company moved, if one company release their data and look bad, then they would just be a target for 
maybe discrimination lawsuits or other kinds of like bad PR. But now we can see it's an industry-wide problem. We can try to organize at the industry level. I would say the visibility has definitely helped. I think it's elevated the issue and it's made it possible for people outside the industry to realize that it is an issue. Since that data is out there, it's indisputable. It helps to keep us accountable to whether anything we're doing is actually improving the situation. I would like us to have made more progress, but at least we know we know what level of progress we made or not. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. And I do want to move from this into your personal experience and how that has influenced the things you build as an engineer. But the last thing I'll say is on kind of the diversity reports, you absolutely need the numbers to have any accountability. And it's my personal experience is not that the companies I've worked for have not done their level best to try to recruit, but they can't retain and you can't fill a bucket with a hole in the bottom. Let's talk about the block button and blocking and your personal experience with that. Yeah, my career basically starts with blocking. The first thing I worked on when I joined Quora as a new grad was the block button. Even though we were only a few thousand users on the site at that time, there was already somebody who was harassing me and I wanted to make it stop. So happily as an engineer, I was empowered to do so by building the block button and made him the first person ever blocked on Quora. And then so I went into working on a lot of other moderation tools and admin tools. But one of the big takeaways I had from that experience was if I hadn't been there at that time and hadn't had those experiences, which were more likely to happen to me as a young woman on the internet, the company would not have prioritized building in those safety tools. So that was a, again, a big link to the diversity questions of like, if we don't have diversity in our teams, we're not going to have these perspectives that are so important for the products that we need to build. That's right. I think that one of the things, and we can talk about this, we've talked about it before, is if you're not viscerally feeling what it's like to be harassed on the internet, then it's you don't get that, for me at least, that cold feeling in your stomach that makes you feel like this has to be fixed or I'm just going to not be visible on social media. I'm just going to opt out of this. But if you're feeling it the way you have and a little bit the way I have, then you're going to you're going to understand like this has to be fixed because this is so impacting my personal use case. Whereas people who don't experience it, it just doesn't feel that way to them. They don't they might know it exists in an abstract way or a rational way, but they're not as motivated, I think. Absolutely. I had this experience from doing the diversity activism work around the data where I, I built more of a profile for myself online, mostly on Twitter. And I got a lot of harassment for this. I was getting everything from low grade sexism and racism where the insults were not that bad, but having to deal with them all the time is still very annoying to really sustain stalking and harassment by people I didn't know, but they would fly around the world to try to find me in person. So I'd have to go to the police and file reports, worried for my physical safety. And I've also had the occasional firestorms of coordinated attacks from sites like Reddit and 4chan. So it's terrible. Like It's emotionally devastating. I felt like my life has been upturned many times by this. And the fact that you have had this happen and are still so public and present, and then we'll talk about block party and what it, how it's going to address some of this. I work in and around crypto, which means like how many scary clown emojis can a woman get? And the answer is like infinite. So it's it's mild to nothing. But but I do have the opposite experience of you, which is I do have someone who in real life is fixated on me and that's moved into the cyber world and there's nothing I can do. You just get the incoming and it's completely disconcerting, especially because it started in real life. And so 
what that has caused for me is just locking down how people can communicate with me, making it hard to get in touch with me, which isn't great for my business, but it's something I feel I have to do to protect myself. And that's one person who's impacting my entire experience on social media. So tell us a little bit about how Block Party works and how it can address some of these issues. And also, let's also talk about why the companies themselves aren't building these solutions. Yeah. So just to quickly react to some of the things you were saying, I think it is that trade-off I find so frustrating between all the good stuff that you can get from being online, whether it's visibility for your work and your business, but then to have to deal with all the negativity, the toxicity or the harassment. Like, And a lot of people do opt out of the good because they don't want to deal with the bad. And that was a lot of the founding impetus for Block Party. And the other part of it was for me, wanting to assert agency and not wanting to feel like I was just under attack and vulnerable and there was nothing I could do and that I was helpless. And so being able to assert agency felt very important to me as I flipped that frame. So with Block Party, the goal is to make it so that everybody can participate online and be in control of their experience. They can partake of the good stuff while getting rid of the bad. The way that our classic product works, the first product we built was on top of Twitter. There's a few key functions. One is automatic filtering. So if you think about like a spam folder, but for social, where things are just automatically automatically getting cleared out, put into a folder you can go look at later if and when you want to, but you just have a better experience. Things are cleaner. You're not dealing with seeing the bad stuff before you can take some action on it. Historically, people would say, well, you can always block and mute. Like, well, the damage has already been done because I've had to see it to know that I want to take some action on it. So what we can do is automatically filter that out. The other key function we have is for the preemptive protection. So things like mass blocking, if you want to block all the people who liked or retweeted a tweet that is harassing you or spreading misinformation about you. These two combine sort of like the day-to-day better experience and like in more extreme situations, being able to take action, just make that whole experience of being online better. There's additional functionality built on top of that too. So things like engaging your community, there's often other people who want to be able to help you, but the way that platforms are designed generally is that you are the only person that can do anything about attacks coming in towards you. So we allow you to add a helper onto your account and take actions on your behalf so they can block on your behalf, or they can actually fish something out that didn't need to be filtered and unmute them. And we also have things like built-in documentation, even for deleted tweets or tweets from suspended accounts, which can be really useful if you do need to compile a report to file it with the platform or take it to law enforcement. So just really thinking about that whole experience from the perspective of the end user or the person. The person, yes, the end user who is a person. So I want to go back and just recap three things you said. So one is almost like a spam folder, which everything would go into, but then you choose when you're ready to look at it. Because one of the things for me is this sort of like out of nowhere, I get a new follow request from this person and it's disconcerting in the moment. But if you can decide, okay, I'm ready to look at this folder, some of the things will be good, some will be bad. You have more control. A helper, which is clutch because they aren't going to have the same visceral reaction to this attack that you're personally going to have because it's aimed at you, which I love that idea. And then finally thinking through these systemic, like the mass blocking. For me, I would love to see a feature where I could automatically block anyone whose account was created within the last, say, three months because it's people just create new and new and new accounts. You can block all day long. But if they're if they're brand new, I sort of know that it's not somebody I need to be interacting with. And so I think I love these ideas. One thing you didn't mention is machine learning. 
Mm-hmm. Tell me why. Yeah, so I do have background in machine learning, and I had previously built machine learning models for recommendations and for trust and safety. We chose not to use machine learning or any AI in our initial implementation of Block Party because we didn't need to. The heuristics that we use for our filtering work really well. And it's things as simple as what you were describing. Somebody's just created their account within the last seven days. They don't have any followers. They have no profile photo. They're probably not somebody you really need to engage with. And these heuristics, they're good enough for us right now. The other thing that's really key for us is helping users to understand what's happening. So the understandability of what's going on with the filtering. One of the questions that is coming up a lot of the, the AI models now is what is actually happening behind the scenes? And we have a lot of difficulty understanding what's going on. With our systems with Block Party, it's as straightforward as like, we muted this person automatically because they have less than a hundred followers and users can see that. And they can understand, oh, if this was a false positive, Maybe I want to turn off this filter and I I know what's going on. Like I know the rules that are going into it. And also because this is a consumer facing product and you just said this, giving people agency and control, if if it's just AI, you don't really know. You might over correct or be blocking things that aren't really your specific. I mean, I would love to block scary clown emojis. That'd be great <laughs> for me personally. And you could do that actually. Yeah, we we actually built out emoji blocking. Oh, amazing! Based on like some experience I had as well dealing with crypto spam, where it's like, oh, there there's some emoji that appear a lot, and I really just want to get rid of all. It's of like them. it's literally the poop emoji for me. Poop emoji and the scary clown. I'm just like, I don't. There's nothing good that's going to come from those two emojis. Okay, I'm definitely getting this. I need this. I don't get it again a lot because. I've been, frankly, like, I just don't enjoy participating in Twitter as much as some other social media platforms, partly because things aimed at me, which again, are one one thousandth of what you've dealt with, one one millionth of what you've dealt with. And then also because like, in 2023, the year of our Lord Elon Musk, it seems to be getting worse, actually, like the desire from Twitter to change things, but maybe rather than just indicting Elon Musk, thinking through what you said before, like, why don't they just build these things or create features people can use? What I find really instructive here is always to look at the incentives and particularly for corporations, like what are the business incentives and for social media platforms, their goal is to drive up engagement and growth. That is the number one thing they're going to optimize everything around. And then when it comes to solving user safety, of course, there will be lip service to like, this is important. You know, We are working very hard on it. But if you look at the incentives, like, it's just never going to be a top priority. Even if we're talking about things like being able to block the users who have fewer followers and new users, a platform would never want to build that in because they want to encourage new user growth. Like they don't want new users to sign up and then not be able to interact with anybody. So that goes against all of their growth incentives to build in this kind of safety functionality. But for people who've been around for a while and are experiencing the harassment, they want this tooling to be able to improve their experience. So we're looking at the incentive design here. It only really makes sense as a third party or somebody who's much more aligned with the end users as we are as block party or other third party developers to be able to build out the solutions for people that really address their problems versus what makes sense for the platform overall when they're optimizing engagement. And to your point, they have to optimize engagement because when they give their earnings report, one of the key numbers is new user growth. 
to your point exactly. I mean, so I have sort of suspected this. I don't know if it's true. I know Elon Musk thought it was true. Now I don't know what he thinks, but is that I would feel like, okay, how many of these new users are just trolls or bots or like troll farms? Because you you need the numbers to go up for your earnings call. So there's no incentive to shut them down because you're held to this like almost impossible up and to the right expectation. And so to your point, there's no financial incentive to do it. It's not that people maybe don't care. It's that why would they do it? Why would they put any end resources into that? You're the CEO and founder of Block Party. You've devoted a big chunk of your professional life to coming up with these solutions to help people have like a less horrific experience on the internet and give them some agency. What do you need? What do you need maybe from Washington or in general to help this app work better? Yeah. First, let me be framed the problem, which is that when it comes to addressing social media harm, most people think of two possible classes of solution. One is demanding that platforms do better. The second is demanding that governments step in. And Block Party belongs in the third class of solutions that I want more people to know about, which is enable the people who want to build solutions to be able to do that. So we are a whole other set of like possibilities here. What we can't do right now is integrate very deeply with most platforms because they don't have the level of openness that Twitter has historically had, which is imminently about to change. With the platform so closed off, it really limits what these third-party developers who are trying to build out other solutions can do. There's still enough demand for these safety solutions and privacy solutions that there are companies attempting to build in this space, but it's just a lot harder when there's not the API access for being able to programmatically build these solutions. And so what can happen on the policy front, platform front is there can be legislation that requires a level of openness with these APIs, which then creates the market for innovation on top of social media platforms, allow this whole layer of solutions to exist. Or platforms can also just recognize that it's really good for the user experience to enable these different applications to be built. So with Twitter, the product that we've built with Block Party, we've been able to show that users legitimately have a better experience. They have a drastically better experience dealing with like harassment and spam and all that if we can build these tools for them. And so it is actually a win-win-win where the platforms don't have to invest their product and engineering resources in building out this surface area of safety product. And it's some stuff that would never make sense for them to build. So things like the documentation functionality we built for Block Party. Like, I just can't imagine a platform prioritizing their very expensive engineering resources to go build that because it's not core to the platform. So the platforms benefit from having somebody else build this product. Users get a better experience. They have more choice. People may want to experience platforms in different ways. And with these third-party developers, like we can provide that full range of optionality versus just whatever the platform has decided is the default for everybody. And then obviously, like, you know, we are very excited to be able to be in this phase of providing solutions. So the big takeaway is like more openness. And that can come either from the platforms proactively opening up APIs or policy side pushing for this as a requirement. So quickly for our listeners who aren't super technical, APIs. So if you're a developer and you're building a tool, can you just explain what an API is and how it works? Yeah. So API stands for Application Programming Interface, and it means that a third party can sort of like take actions programmatically on behalf of you. So for example, 
one thing that Block Party does is automatically mute people for you. What you'd be able to do as like an end user is you can mute somebody. What is exposed to the API is this muting functionality. So Block Party can do that for you. So what we need to be able to build out these solutions is access to all the data that you would have as a user to do those things programmatically for you. This isn't a sort of picking winners or losers. This is just creating, the idea would be legislation, just kind of insisting on openness to developers to build on the platform. It doesn't really take away from the platform itself. And if you have data that show that people have a better experience, ideally that's good for the platforms themselves. But we know it's really hard to get anything done in Congress and especially right now, a little bit of sand, a lot of sand in the gears. And so what would be easier and simpler for you is if the platforms, if Instagram and if Twitter, well, Twitter is now restricting their API. They used to be quite generous about it. But if these platforms just allowed the opportunity for people like you to be able to build on on top of their existing products so that the end user, which again, we'll say are people, people can have more choice and have a better experience. Unlike people like me who just basically opt out most of the time I would probably be online more if I felt a little less grossed out by the experience. So that's kind of, is that in a, in a nutshell? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And I would also add, we've seen other examples of app ecosystems that have made the experience better. So if you look at Apple and Google, like on phones, you have so many different applications you can use that the companies themselves have not built, but they've enabled third-party developers to build out all this different functionality that makes your life as an end user as a consumer much better. Yes, definitely. And I feel like I will end on this. I think that again, I'm I'm really impressed at your tenacity and your just sort of stick to itiveness with like you're gonna be online and you're gonna do you and you are building solutions. So I think what you're doing is it's impressive, it's important. And let us know how people can sign up for Block Party or find it. Yeah, so we are blockpartyapp.com, or you can find us on Twitter at blockpartyapp underscore. Okay. We're working on getting a better handle, but best wishes Twitter, to, best wishes to you. There's no people left. We'll root for you to get a better handle. And in the meantime, I'm going to drop that into the show notes so people can find it. And on a final note, I'll say, I know you're hiring, you're looking for talent. So anybody listening to this who's like, I would actually love to get in and work on a tech solution like this. You're hiring. So we'll point them in your direction. Thank you. Yes. We'd love to have more help in making the internet safer for everybody. Very good. Thank you so much, Tracy, again, for taking the time to come talk to us. Thanks for having me on your show. Be sure to tune in for our next episode with Debbie Taylor Moore. She's a legend in the cybersecurity business, and I've been eager to host her ever since I heard her speak on a panel at the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas. We connect in the studio and talk about the unthinkable. What do we do if the entire electrical grid goes down? How should you be preparing yourself? This is our 50th episode, and as always, I want to thank you for listening, subscribing to this podcast, and telling your friends about the show. 